Clean Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's the People's Voice, committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Morning, listeners. Welcome to Green Left Radio. Good morning. <laughs> We're coming in early today because uh, Perez, who normally does Friday breakfast, has taken two weeks off for holidays. Nice. So. He's earned it. Okay. And this is Lalitha Chalaya. And Sue Bolton. And Zane Alcorn. And Dennis is running late. He'll be here soon. So let's start with... Oh, we've got a few interviews today because we've got more time on our hands. And yeah. we're going to start with an interview with Sue. Yep. Off you go, Zane. All right. So uh, once again, this is Green Left Radio and 3CR. And you are tuned into the radness, the very radness. Uh, in the studio, we have Socialist Alliance Councillor Sue Bolton from the Moreland Commune. And Sue attended the um, Rail Tram and Bus Union, or RTBU, mass meeting at Trades Hall yesterday that was held during the tram strike. And he's going to talk a bit about that. Welcome, Sue. Hi, how's it going? Good. Um, so, first up, what are the tram drivers going on strike for? What is the basis of the dispute? Well, the tram strike is the first one since 1997, and people are really hot under the collar. There are hundreds of tram drivers, um, you know, jam, jamming uh, Trades Hall for the, for the mass meeting yesterday. They had a four-hour strike yesterday, and it's over um, a new enterprise bargaining agreement because Yarra Trams, like Metro Rail, has been refusing to negotiate with the union. Then when they finally started negotiating a couple of months after the agreement ran out, they've really uh, not been prepared to put really any serious offers to the union. Um, the union in particular is concerned about the attacks on conditions and with the tram drivers, so the issues are similar but slightly different with the um, tram drivers and the railway workers. So with the tram drivers, the issue is Yarra Tram's demand for a 14-day roster. And... Uh, you know, they're also demanding a pay increase of 18% over, over three years, and which is fair enough because the state government is about to introduce um, all-night public transport on Fridays and Saturdays, which means that both railway workers and tram drivers will be working a lot more rotten shifts, graveyard shifts. Mm. And, you know, anyone who's been a shift worker knows how shift work wrecks your body. So workers need to be compensated for doing 24-hour, you know, um, you know, for doing shifts overnight. Um, but the Yarra Trams is demanding that some of the pay rise be in return for a 14-day roster. 
and they haven't provided the union with any real details of how a 14-day roster will work. And I'm an ex-bus driver, so I'm sort of familiar a bit with the sort of rostering system um, that tram drivers um, have. And because the shifts are radically different that tram drivers work each day. Sometimes it might be six hours, 24 minutes. Another day it might be nine hours and three minutes. Like the, the, and so one of the things that, um, tram drivers won several decades ago is a 40 hour guarantee. And the union is worried that if this guarantee is over a 14-day roster, um, so in effectively it will become an 80-hour guaranteed work and pay, um, that basically the adjustments that will be made to overtime and penalty rates would mean less jobs. Now, that is pretty important when we are facing massive unemployment in Australia and some parts of the city, like Broadmeadows, have um, unemployment rates of 23 to 26%. So that is the heart of the dispute and both the tram and bus division of the Rail, Tram and Bus Union and the railway um, divisions um, are both saying... Um, the money is important, but the key thing is the working conditions, and both the Yarra Trams and Metro Rail are, um, are really uh, sticking the knife into working conditions. Mm. And do you want me to talk a little bit about the Metro Rail attacks, or do you want me to leave that to later? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I guess this, this idea of a 14-day roster, um, it's um, not immediately... Um, I guess some people would not immediately know what that means. And, and one thing that comes to mind, I've got a friend, uh, Pete Kennedy, who recently retired from the coal mining industry up in the Hunter Valley. And he said they bought in what was called a, a two-panel roster, I think it is, instead of a three-panel roster, whereby instead of having three shifts per day of eight hours each, they... They simplified it and instead had two shifts of 12 hours each per day. And like you say, they sacked a whole bunch of people and then the remaining workers were made to work really long and unsocial hours. Um, so it sounds a lot like that's what's being uh, attempted by uh, the tram and train management. It's quite possible, and what the Secretary of the Tram and Bus Division of the Union, Phil Altieri, told members yesterday is that Yarra Trams has refused to put any detail for how the roster would work. And so there's no way the union will sign off on this 40-day roster without a guarantee that it will be beneficial for workers. And so at the moment there's a lot of concern about what this 14-day roster could do. And I think, you know, what you point out is that um, different jobs um, are very different and function very differently. And sometimes conditions that are really important for workers in some jobs aren't, you know, people outside that particular industry don't necessarily know how... Um, 
you know, how that industry works, why that particular condition is so important. But I think the potential loss of jobs is really important. And also, I think um, some, of the, some of the tram drivers told me yesterday that maybe the company might eliminate or severely reduce um, swapping of shifts. And, you know, when I was a bus driver, you know, there, a lot, there was a lot of shift swapping that, that went on. Um, the tram drivers are planning more industrial action, um, although it hasn't been specified yet. Um, oh, that's, yeah. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, so and, and what, what further industrial action is planned and, and how can people support the train and tram drivers? Well, I think there is more industrial action planned. The trams are planning to take more industrial action, although that wasn't outlined in the mass meeting yesterday. Um, But the rail division, uh, or the rail divisions, because there's more than one rail division of the union, are planning a number of stoppages next week. Um, They're planning a couple of early morning stoppages, like between 3 and 4 in the morning, um, a non-uniform day, and also um, some days of not checking Mikey tickets, which people will be very keen on. <laughs> but because the company, Metro Rail, has said that they will dock members' pay for hours for those industrial actions, including the ones that are only uh, for one hour, um, the union has decided to take four hours um, strike action next Friday. Um, and we do need to really support that because... Not only are the companies sticking the knife into the union and the workers, but the government has announced that it may, the so-called Labor state government, has announced that it may join legal action against the union with the companies um, to try and stop the industrial action. So the company um, has got the support of the government and... You know, the, the Metro Rail is trying to introduce 12-hour shifts. They want to um, also divide up the rail system into five separate discrete um, discrete uh, sections where drivers will only be trained to drive on two or three lines, and this could be a step towards the privatisation of the infrastructure Mm. as happened in Britain. And that's very dangerous, not only for the railway workers, but also for the general public in terms of the removal of the connectivity and, and the uh, ending of the connectivity of the rail system across the city. Mm. One of the things I was going to ask you was um, the, the role the government plays, the politics behind this. It's, in the end, the public transport system they're all privatised. What do you think is behind in, in, in terms of politics for this government? State, I was listening to an interview yesterday and the Minister for Transport, I think it's a woman, was really mm. vicious. She really tried to put the um, you know, dagger into the workers. She was saying, oh, well, these people are, uh, you know, this is very irresponsible and they are affecting the public and it's always that you are, ta- you are, you are inconveniencing the public and you're being... Irresponsible, the key word she kept repeating. And I'm thinking, 
Yeah, but you're not very responsible towards everything else people are worried about, the unemployment, housing, you know, Davy, and, and you can go on and on and on. But just because the union's involved, there seems to be an attack on this union. How do you feel about that? You know, how do the workers at, at the, the meeting uh, feel about the government being so involved with a private company against the workers? I think there's a lot of anger. Most of the workers' anger is focused towards the companies. I gather some of the Labor Party members of the Rail, Bus and Tram Union have been quite shocked that their party in government has attacked the union and the workers. But for people who've been around the traps for a long time and remember Labor governments in power, both federal and state, um, know that... Labor Party, when it's in power, is not really any different to Liberal Party or not much different to Liberal Party when it's in power in terms of attacking workers. And basically, you know, in Victoria in the past, we've had um, Labor Party um, involved in deregistering the Builders Labourers Federation right back in the 1980s, um, and, f- and federally they did that as well, uh, the Labor government. Um, we've had... Um, the federal Labor government in the 80s deregister and send in troops um, to fly planes um, in, uh, to break the pilot strike in the late 80s. And basically, the Labor government just operates the same way that any other capitalist government, like run by Liberal and National, do. And their, their interest and their role in government is um, also anti-worker and anti-union and on the side of the big corporations. Mm. I, I remember the, the, f- the first um, union, union um, organiser who was arrested was the secretary of the Tramways Union in the 80s, and mm. I forget his name. I actually nursed him in hospital when he was sick. Not Clary O'Shea? That's him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know his name. I know he was, just wasn't coming out. Yeah, so it's got quite a history. So now we shall go for a break and come back with another discussion or interview. Okay, here we go. Hi, I'm Rod Quantock, and you're listening to... Fill in the dots, you know who you're listening to. Why do I have to tell you who you're listening to? You know who you're listening to. You're listening to, yes, fill in the... Frisier Community Radio. You got it right. You've won a giraffe. Uh, we're at 8.55am. We're on digital radio and streaming at 3cr.org.au. 3CR has been making trouble since 1976, and occasionally I've been part of the trouble that's been made. It's a vital part of our uh, media landscape, and I'd encourage you to get a hacksaw, an oxyacetylene torch, and go up to the Dandenongs and, and bring down all those broadcast towers that aren't 3CR's towers, and let's make 3CR the only source of information to an information-starved, dumbed-down Australian community. Written, authorised and spoken by Neil Mitchell. The Kurdish Workers' Party, otherwise known as the PKK, was established in 1984 to fight for the self-determination of Kurdish people in Turkey. It is supported by millions of Kurds, and in recent times has played a crucial role in defending Kobani and Rojava against ISIS. Yet the Australian government named the PKK as a prescribed terrorist organisation in 2005, and it has remained on the list ever since. The listing comes up for review in August 2015. 
Australians for Kurdistan Committee in Melbourne, is calling for the PKK to be delisted and are collecting endorsements. You can add yours by going to www.liftthebanonthepkk.org. Australians for Kurdistan Committee in Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to Green Left Radio. And we have an interview lined up, and here we go. Indeed. On the uh, phone this morning, we have uh, Praveen Nagapan, who's the chairperson of Saya Anak Bangsa Malaysia, or SABM, which is a Melbourne-based NGO working in solidarity with Malaysian democracy and human rights campaigns. Uh, Praveen is an organiser of the Versailles 4.0 protest that is happening tomorrow in unison with a set of major protests in Malaysia and in other cities around the world. Welcome, Praveen. Um, so, listeners may have heard of the Malaysian Bursay movement. Can you tell us a bit about it? Sure, absolutely. So, the Bursay movement is a Bursay is a coalition for clean and fair elections, uh, and has been around since 2006. Uh, at its formation, Bursay comprised civil society organisations with the objective of campaigning for clean and fair elections in Malaysia. Its uh, journey has been monumental to say the least. Uh, it started with a public demonstration in 2007 in Malaysia. It's, um, that is quite groundbreaking. Um, reason I say that is Malaysians thus far have been a, generally a docile lot. So for the, a docile segment of society to publicly demonstrate, that was groundbreaking. Now since then there have been several other rallies organized by Bursay as well. So as you mentioned, as you pointed out earlier, we have we have now at birthday four, which literally means this is rally number four. So rally number one in 2007 had a participation in the thousands. To give you a bit of an indication, rally two and three saw Malaysians in the hundreds of thousands rally in support of the electoral right. Hmm. So rally number four is anyone's guess at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I remember around sort of 2011, I think it was, when the, the Arab Spring and the movement of the squares was happening. I think that's when Bursay 2 was, or maybe it was Bursay 3, but I, I remember there being a very big protest in Malaysia at the time when, when all those other protests were happening around the world. That's right. Look, while the obje- <laughs> while it has different objectives, right, um, it was a people's uprising, so in as much as that, it had some commonality. Hmm. Um, and can you tell us just a bit more about Bursay's political demands? Yeah, so at the, at the centre of it is a demand for clean elections. Now, it's not rocket science. Elections are meant to be clean, by definition. So at the centre of it is demand for clean elections. Now, in point form, uh, it centres around things like cleaning the electoral role, uh, providing free and fair access to the media in Malaysia, which is government-controlled, um, strengthening of public institutions, very important at this point to us, stopping corruption or reversing, arresting and reversing corruption, uh, mm. and also stopping dirty politics. Okay. Uh, at, at present, though, so you may question, do you not have all of this at the moment? At present, there's a general conviction that there isn't. Hmm. Okay, and what is it like for protesters and say, for smaller, more radical political parties in Malaysia, 
um, maybe compared to what it's like in Australia? Look, Malaysia is a developing nation, a, devel- a developing and maturing democracy. So for smaller political parties and for protesters in general, it is very trying. There's lots of intimidation. Uh, as I said before, Malaysians have thus far been a docile lot. And to ensure that this remains the way, this remains the case, there are many restrictions in place under the cloak of maintaining public order. So mm-hmm. most recently, most recently, the Ministry of Information and Commission has declared, in relation to Bursay 4, which happened this Saturday, uh, they have declared that there will be a ban on websites carrying any information on the rally. Now, that makes no sense whatsoever, because if the intention of the ministry to ban websites or any information is to maintain public order, now, I would decipher that as physical in nature, not having information or reading about a rally. Now, that just makes no sense whatsoever. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty disturbing, and it's not really... I, I think Australian democracy is... Uh, quite limited and, and sort of exists within a, a narrow band, but uh, certainly oh, we, we don't have to contend <laughs> with um, a ban on information about rallies. That's right. That's uh, right. Yeah, that, that's, that's got to be a very difficult environment to operate under. And, and I've heard the, uh, the Malaysian president, Najib Razak, is about as popular with Malaysians as uh, Tony Abbott is popular with Australians. Yeah, yeah, you can you can say that the prime minister is just about as popular as as uh, Tony here. Um, <laughs> so, look at at the heart of it, at the heart of it, right? And the reason for this, it's it sort of built up um, over time. But at the heart of it, so what's sort of the crucial turning point? At the heart of it is uh, is a controversial transfer of some 2.6 billion ringgit into the prime minister's personal account. Now, <laughs> now to put some uh, context to this. Uh, there's a a public fund called the One Malaysia Development Berhad. Uh, It's something like our future fund over here. Um, It's a 42 billion ringgit public investment fund whose advisory board is chaired by none other than the Prime Minister, Mr. Najib Razak. Uh, The fund had borrowed uh, millions of dollars to invest and ended up investing in what is alleged to be severely overpriced assets with excessive allegedly making its way into individual coffers. And these allegations include channeling of the 2.6 billion ringgit to what appears to be the Prime Minister's personal account. Of course, there's official denial of all of this, but there's also a lot of uh, evidence which points to this direction as well. Yeah, right. So does, does the President try and justify that transfer, or does he just deny that it ever happened? Prime Minister... The Prime Minister, sorry. <laughs> the Prime Minister. That's all right, that's all right. Well, um, yes, there, there's official denial. Uh, so he does not deny that the transfer did take place. What he does deny is that it wasn't used for personal gain. Uh, so that could be interpreted in many ways because he said it hasn't been used for personal gain. So it doesn't mean that it won't be, one. <laughs> Two, it, it could also mean that it was used for something other than personal gain, which is quite disturbing, really. But um, what they do suggest officially is these funds were not from the public investment fund. Rather, it was a public donation or political donation from friendly Arab nations. 
into the Prime Minister's personal account. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> it sounds. It sounds. Uh, it, it sounds very coincidental. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and of course, look, that's no longer any dodgy at all. If it's just uh, some business, some Arab nation, usual, some yeah. big oil-producing country, just oh here, I have seven hundred million dollars. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. That's, that's business as usual. Oh, yeah, sounds like politics is very um, rotten in Malaysia. Um, tell us a bit about the rally that's happening here at, at Fed Square tomorrow. Right. So there is a so Persifor. is happening in the, in Malaysia, and what we are doing here and in, in a number of cities around the world, actually, 50 global cities, hmm. we're doing a solidarity rally. Uh, we're rallying in solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Malaysia. Uh, a lot of us have left the country, but our heart remains there because we have a lot of family there, and that's where we grew up, that's where our memories are. Mm. So we've got a solidarity rally happening at the Federation Square tomorrow, Saturday the 29th, from 2 to 4 p.m. We will have uh, Malaysian activists who are uh, based here. We have students airing their grievances alongside our Australian counterparts. Um, it will be nice to see you and your view, your listeners um, there, Zane. Yeah, for sure. Uh, look, if, if for nothing else, right, so you may not prescribe to some of the things that we've just discussed, uh, discussed. Uh, but if nothing else, at least to see what all this is about and, and just have an understanding of what Malaysian activism is like. Now, through conversations with some of your colleagues, I understand that by, by local standards, um, activism in Malaysia can, could be considered fairly mild. But you have to understand where Malaysians come from. Malaysians are generally a docile lot. And the government doesn't stop uh, reminding us that demonstrations are not part of our culture. But what the government and the authorities do not understand is Malaysians very strongly feel that rampant corruption and greed are also not part of our culture. Mm. And... Um the, this movement for change is, is becoming quite mainstream, yeah, and, and uh, gathering some um, voices of support from fairly uh, mainstream sort of places. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. As, as I said, so birthday one started with people in the thousands, um, and birthday three we ended up with something like 300,000 people taking to the street. Now, birthday four, with all of these things that have happened since, a lot more deterioration that's happened occurred since with this 2.6 billion controversial transfer that's happened since. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow because, and the authorities are taking this very seriously. Um, latest is overnight there has been hints of military in intervention even. Now, to what extent that's true or is that intimidation is anyone's guess? But they are taking it very seriously. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Well, um, Thanks very much for um, coming on air this morning and, and letting us know uh, about the protests that's happening tomorrow and a, a bit of background about the Bursay movement. Thank you, Zain. Thank you for your time. Nice talking to you. Cheers. Okay, Dennis, news mm -hmm. time. Yes, indeed. Well, it's been an awful week for Tony Abbott. Oh, uh, how eh? sad. <laughs> well, sad, well, sad enough to uh, you know, send the post at the 7.5% swing against him if the election was held today. The latest Ipsos Fairfax uh, uh, poll on the essential research said that uh, coalition would lose between 36 and 44 federal seats, with Labour and the Greens being the main benefactories of this. Yes, sounds good. One of the, in, fact, in fact, one of the latest polls actually um, shows that uh, the Greens have been uh, 
polling consistently on around a 16% mark with the, with the, uh, the, the first vote. So, um, and the, and also the upcoming, um, federal election, uh, federal by-election in the Western Australia seat of Canning also, um, uh, what's, uh, what's gonna happen, you know? So at the moment I think it's polling at something like, uh, Labour's 0.02% ahead in this, uh, sort of arch-liberal seat, so, Ooh, they lose that. Minuscule, isn't it? Yeah. 0.02, yeah, yeah, so, uh, well, if Tony Abbott ends up losing that, well, I don't, think, I don't think I don't think it should be any surprise that his head will be on the chopping block after that. Yes. So why exactly is it, why why all the widespread disgust at <laughs> Tony Abbott? Well, we can all we well we could certainly talk about the um, you know the uh, just the Liberal MPs born to rule attitude and sense of, ent- of entitlement. That is uh, quite. From the helicopter to whatever. Indeed. Yeah, from Brian Bishop's Chopper Gate to um, Justice John Dyson Hayden. Yes. Uh, To, uh, or to more recently, actually, his, um, well, his, I think, uh, 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 politically disastrous move to announce that, uh, well, to, to prohibit his MPs from crossing the floor on the equal ma- marriage equality vote right. and postponing it after the uh, next uh, federal election. Mm. But I think, I think it's really the job, sec- job insecurity that wins the prize for, yes. um, for their horrible governance. Uh, it's, it's really, and the latest Hutchinson's case, uh, Port Hutchinson's case in Sydney and Brisbane really helps to highlight That's right. uh, that. Um, that issue because well, federal government basically has been completely silent on the on the the, the sacking of uh, almost a hundred workers in the, you know, together in Sydney and Brisbane, as if saying, oh no, a hundred well, hundred workers being sacked well by email, the overnight at midnight, no, no, we don't know anything about, no, nothing to see here, folks, keep on with your day. And the opposite is happening here. The tram mm. has gone on on strike, and the the government is right behind. The company. Mm. It's, it's such contradiction, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But I think yeah. one of the things that Abbott is, is doing and will do to try and save himself is firstly um, asking the US if Australia, if he and Australia can mm. join the bombing raids oh. in Syria, but also secondly, they have... Um, Asked, he's asked the security forces to provide a series of announceables about security scares between now and the federal election. So I think we can expect another terrorism scare on totally implausible grounds, like the young guy whose life's been destroyed through, you know, he had a couple of small weapons, um, but they, you know, he, you know, this, all of these, uh, anti-terror raids um, in the lead-up to Anzac Day and around Anzac Day, and, you know, there was nothing in it. And and that's the case with pretty much all of these Mm. so-called anti-terrorism cases. And Mm. I think that's what Abbott will use. He's using IS and the threat of terrorism to try and scare the pants off people um, to try and build himself back in, in, um, in the polls. No, it's only true. An old-fashioned yeah. protection racket. Yes. <laughs> no, no, the two things he uses, that and the mm. refugee thing. The and two the refugee issue. His election yeah, campaign yeah. will be around that. Absolutely. 
Well, um, and moving on now too, well, there's been, um, well, to- talking now about the latest developments with the Royal Commission. Oh, God, yes. Ah, well, uh, Susan Price actually wrote a wonderful article here in the Green Left Weekly. Basically, well, uh, uh, well uh, with the title being everything that, everything that we wish to see with the uh, Commission, Trade Union Witch Hunt Must Be Shut Down. The... Um, and this, and this is just a uh, just a small recap. The, the commission actually first sat on April 9th last year, and the media reported that the, it's Mr. Hayden received the invitation to speak via email just one day later, on April the 10th. So it's been exactly one uh, one year since then. It's uh, kind of just uh, been uh, bogged down in this um, in this constant circus of of, of uh, uh, of trying to paint, paint the trade union uh, movement as uh, as, co- as sort of a corrupt and uh, you know syndicate uh, syndicate like, uh, and, uh, and and let's not forget that the 2001 Coal Royal Commission into the construction industry paved the way for the introduction of the ABCC, the Australian Building and Construction Commission. So, the Building Industry Gestapo, mm-hmm. as it was commonly known. Uh, uh, so it, the commission set up uh, these days is uh, well it hasn't quite produced a- anything uh, similar to ABCC quite yet although ABCC has certainly been uh, introduced into senate a few s- few times and has been beaten back a few times so the uh, <coughs> and now lately though uh, the ACTU has uh, has called on for prime minister to shut down the commission and stop wasting millions of tox- taxpayer dollars on pursuing his own political agenda the ACTU Secretary Dave Oliver said in a statement on August 19th that the ACTU has always maintained that the commission is a political witch hunt designed, designed to weaken Abbott's political opponents. Um, and although uh, and so far so far, some of the documents revealed about the budget of the commission is, is, is the following. We have, we have the $61 million has been um, was going to be spent over the two years in the commission with 28 million already being already being spent, with a hearing testimony of 441 witnesses, and in 149 public and private hearings, and uh, the total number of four people have been arrested, and one of um, one of them is in fact Johnny Lomax, the uh, organizer for the C- for the Construction Forestry and Mining Energy Union in uh, ACTU, and also a former rug- rugby player. He he has been uh, he was. Um, uh, he was charged this, uh, last week with, uh, uh, well, t- well, basically um, about charged with, with blackmail arising from negotiations in 2013 with the painting company overpaying its employees above the minimum rate. So now we really now it's almost now it's really coming to a, not not just a political witch hunt but a real sort of repression of uh, workers' ability to negotiate mm. fair enterprise agreements. That's right. Uh, That's right. They, they really, they, the government government really is not hiding anything uh, with this with this, with this move. <coughs> and just uh, ju- just finishing off that uh, just uh, that article. It's uh, also important to remind me that. Uh, Remind us that the uh, so-called whistleblower who uh, really initiated, uh, helped, helped to ni- initiate the Royal Commission, is now uh, well, is now is now herself um, uh, being has has actually been brought to justice by by her by a trade union. We're talking about the Kathy Jackson.
Yes, HSU. Yes, so who has been now, now been forced to repay the $1.4 million to the union. That he well should, his members' money. Mm. Exactly, exactly. But more importantly, I think that th- that that sort of process was actually conducted by the trade unions themselves, by the HEC themselves. And it actually, sh- it actually shows that uh, when um, when they function democratically and in, tr- in the interests of the in- of their members, unions can deal with officials. Uh, seeking, seeking to line their own pockets at, me- at members' expense. Mm. I so. think it's something else, too, because, you know, it, it's almost uh, verging on self-regulation for unions. But the thing is, the, the way unions are organizing and, and the fact that so many academics are moving into the union arena to conduct union affairs and having membership lesser sort of uh, ability to... to control the unions, it's a feature that they always use to attack unions. But the mm-hmm. fact they don't realize is, rec- yes, last time there was news that the politicians are buying investment properties in Canada, in, in Canberra. Um, mm-hmm. They use the money they're given for living expenses, which is like 30, uh, almost $300 a night, mm-hmm. um, to buy investment property and pay it off based on the, the money they're given. Uh, and it's supposed to be all legal. And I'm thinking, well, who makes all this legal Abilities, you know, they, they make it for themselves. So there's so much corruption among, among politicians. Nobody says anything, but all under the, the cover of legal um, activity. But at the same time, they ignore all the um, it, illegal activities by employers, and and that is covered up in legislation too. Like companies aren't paying taxes, companies aren't providing uh, safe working conditions for for workers. For example, workers die and they're not prosecuted for, for manslaughter or murder, but they're just, you know, fined a few hundred bucks. There's mm. nothing. Nobody talks about all those things. There's always a focus on the unions. The anti-worker sentiment is riding high mm. at the moment, mm-hmm. and that's a big worry at the moment. I mean, and the unions are not fighting back enough. We need more fight back against this sort of stuff, especially with the TPP coming in. It's going to get a lot worse. Just on that note of, you know, unions fighting back the uh, the battle at, at, Porch, at the Hutchinson's Port is, is continuing with the Maritime Union of Australia really, really out there in the lead. Now, now last week we did mention that um, the union won a partial victory on August 13th when the federal court ordered that um, a temporary injunction, which put the two weeks stay, stay on the, stay on the sacking. So in the end, workers were not being sacked. And um, recently there was also um, an, an update to that decision that the workers will will, um, will remain in their jobs for the ne- for at least the next uh, two months or so, um, and well, with all the workers being paid. So now the uh, <coughs> Hutchinsons has uh, refused to roster on the dismissed workers, and security guards have prevented them from uh, re-entering the workplace before, at the, so um, uh, occasionally. The <coughs> at the same time, though, uh, the public assemblies, uh, in, uh, public community assemblies in support of the workers at Port Botany and Fisherman Wharf in uh, Brisbane are being maintained. So uh, the work, and work has started, and container trucks are permitted to enter the terminals. Um, in Sydney, um, the uni- Union's New South Wales, which is basically the uh, uh, New South Wales version of the Victorian Trace Hall, is rostering unions to organize and staff the assembly 24 hours a day. So it's, uh, it really is, mm. um, uh, the MUA in the union movement is, is re- really is uh, right. seriously supporting, uh, mm. uh, supporting them. 
Now, now in the August 17th media release, the MUA stated that the union rejects and judge, re, the, sorry, the union rejects suggestions from Hutchinson that the company is reducing its Australian operations due to a lack of competitiveness, as they've been subcontracting existing work to other Steve doors. Well, uh, and it's and it, ha- it actually hasn't just been um, uh, hasn't uh, uh, sorry. Uh, the MUA has also been demanding that uh, any eventual redundancies be fully, negoti- fully negotiated with the union and the workers, and that no discrimination against union activists and delegates is permitted. And the, the union is also calling for the rights on, of, of any lay, layoff workers to be given the right to return to their jobs when company product, production uh, picks up. Yeah. And, uh, ju- and just to finish up there, the uh, solidarity with MUA struggles actually come from, uh, oh, by the way, Hutchinson, Paul Hutchinson is also one of the largest Steve Doring companies in the world. So, um, uh, there's been, uh, so the news of this um, unrest has come from right across uh, the world. We've got uh, the MUA has received uh, solidarity from workers in Hong Kong, Indonesia, Spain, France, Britain, U.S., India, and Panama. Just, uh, just, Sounds just good. name a few. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've always been fascinated by the, um, well, by the amount of. Um, well, not just the militant uh, action that uh, MUA always conducts, but also just how uh, much in solidarity it manages to receive and uh, how well-known its disputes become all around the world. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. they, they do go overseas on the boat. <laughs> and mm-hmm. the workers that come on the boat are from mm. other countries, mm-hmm. so they mm-hmm. must have that interaction with a lot of um, people from other countries. But it also really proves that mil- having a militant uh, unionism continuously... Having a continuous uh, series of union, militant union actions, actually brings you to that position of being um, of of being so connected yes. acro- uh, across the union movement, not just in Australia but around the world. Mm. We certainly need an international workers' union, don't we? <laughs> All right, yeah. guys, we are almost at the well. I was going to say midway, but we're three quarters away into the program. I'm just going to play midrow, and then we'll come back to the next discussion. Thanks, Dennis. You are listening to Greenleaf Radio on the Friday morning breakfast show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio, 855 AM digital, and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Greenleaf Radio is brought to you by the Greenleaf Weekly newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment before profit. Subscribe to Greenleft Weekly by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. Okay, what's next, guys? Ah, well, actually, there's uh, some inter- interesting international news that I forgot to, to mention. The Greek, well, the, the new Greek elections have been announced uh, yes. over um, over uh, over there in the country, and the left platform, which is uh, split from Syriza over the bailout vote, has formed its own um, its own political uh, coalition called uh, Popular Unity. Yes. And in many ways, in many ways, this is actually I think I think this is actually a piece of very good news. Since uh, this is, uh, uh, well, this is basically a, 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 a party that will, uh, that has a clear anti-bailout and anti, um, you know, anti-memoranda program, and which actually, which, which, which could help us to act as a sort of a left alternative to the Syriza government and prevent something, someone like the Golden Dawn from yes, uh, gaining, yes. gaining any uh, votes from the disenfranchised, 
disenfranchisement from uh, yep. what has happened. And yeah. uh, late last night, I read this piece of news: 53 Sri uh, parliamentarians have resigned from Sri um, joined this new left organisation. Mm, so right. it's going to be really interesting how it all looks out. Mm, mm. Mm. Yes. Anything uh, else, Zane? Before we move on to the next chit chat. Um, Any more news? Well, actually, there is. Um, we also have the article, the article here about uh, well, what's happening, what's currently happening in Kurdistan. Yes, there's been some really exciting developments here. Uh, Talent of the town declares self-government in the face of war. This and this article here was was also um, represented from GINHA, Women's News Agency. And the reason for that is because the. Uh, uh, the, uh, the current movement there has been inspired by the women, women def- defense units, and um, they fight back against ISIS. So, right across the Turkish part of Kurdistan, there's been uh, uh, there's been a lot of towns uh, with majority Kurdish population, and led by a lot of this, a lot of sort of left-wing and social movements. There have been declaring self-government and I say autonomy from the. Uh, from Erdogan's um, ruling uh, government, which still hasn't technically f- even formed government since the last since the last elections in June, and is now considered to be des- well desperately lacking legitimacy. Uh, yeah, that's uh, a, a good lead into the next um, interview, Zane, about Kurds and and who and. Yeah, we, we had Dave Holmes on last week, and it's just a big topic, mm. Kurdistan, and we got Dave to talk a bit about the history of the Kurdish struggle and how they came to be divided up by French and British imperialism. Um, so, yeah, it's keen, Sue, if you were just able to talk a bit more about the, the aggression by the Turkish government at the moment and how the US is turning a blind eye to that. Well, I think um, the US and Turkey uh, are playing an absolutely duplicitous role. Um, Turkey and the United States uh, struck a deal on the 23rd of July um, to allow the US access to Turkish airspace and the Turkish airbase Inchilik, um, well, I might have that pronunciation slightly wrong, but, um, but to the Turkish airbase, um, to further their attacks on the Islamic State and as part, uh, and drawing Turkey into the so-called, um, alliance against the Islamic State. But, you know, the whole thing is absolutely duplicitous because Turkey for many, many months um, probably um, since I, the Islamic State was formed, have been aiding and assisting the Islamic State. I mean, last year we had scenes where um, weapons were openly being brought across the border from Turkey to and donated to Islamic State. We had um, Islamic State uh, fighters escorted across the border from Syria into Turkey by Tur- the Turkish army um, to escort them to um, military hospitals um, for treatment and so forth. Uh, meanwhile, the Turkish military was blocking Kurds from crossing the border from Turkey into Syria to help um, the um, fighters in the Kurdish fighters in Kobani. Uh, to protect their city against the siege 
from IS. So the whole, so you know, the whole thing has been absolutely duplicitous. Now, on the 20th of July, um, a, a suicide bomber blew up um, a group, and, and which resulted in the killing of 32 young socialists in a border town. Um, now, the interesting thing there was all of the young socialists were searched when they entered the cultural centre, but the suicide bomber was never searched. Now, the Turkish um, government used this bombing um, as, as a basis for forming a deal with the United States, a supposed um, deal to uh, fight Islamic State. But what the Turkish government then did was they bombed one Islamic State target but then started massively bombing Kurdish towns uh, throughout Turkey, um, the Kurdish Workers' Party base in in northern Iraq. And so it's totally duplicitous. And the the Kurds are totally against um, not only uh, Turkey's war on the Kurds and ending of the peace process, but also they're against um, Turkey uh, allowing the US to use uh, its airspace um, because they don't trust the US either. And, you know, the evidence is that the US, when it was supposedly doing bombings to help um, the Kurds, they tended to bomb all over Syria, very little bombing that would actually help the Kurds and refusal to allow the Kurds to access um, some of the heavy weaponry that they needed to actually defend the Kurdish um, city of Kobani against the um, uh, onslaught from the Islamic State which had access to heavy weaponry from Turkey and captured from the Assad government and the Iraqi army. So the US is not really fair dinkum. I mean, really, the um, Kurds totally doubt the motives of the US in its so-called fight against the Islamic State, and they certainly and, and clearly uh, know that the Turkish government is just using the, the, so, the fight against Islamic State as a, as a cover for its war on the, on the Kurds. And, you know, the, they've just... The, Turkey has been absolutely obliterating um, some um, towns, some Kurdish towns and villages with absolutely massive bombing and um, just absolute terrorist attacks on Kurdish civilians. So it's absolutely duplicitous. And certainly um, the Kurds are calling on anyone who supports um, an end to Turkey's war on the Kurds and for the peace process to be restarted um, to c- turn up to a rally on Saturday tomorrow uh, at 11am at Federation Square. Mm. Stop Turkey's war on the Kurds. Um, uh, I might just jump in actually while well, we've got time and, and do the announcements and then that will leave a little bit of time for discussion at the end. Okay, so it's a big weekend uh, coming up. There's a rally today, Stop the China Free Trade Agreement. That's at 12 noon at the Parliament Steps in uh, Spring Street in the city. Sponsored by the AMWU, CFMEU, ETU, NUW, TCFUA, TWU and MUA. Racists not welcome. Um, I've got to work today, but I'd be interested to check that out because it's, uh, I think there's, 
a lot of legitimate points about this campaign against the China Free Trade Agreement, but I think there's also a risk that it takes on a sort of a bit of a nationalistic and uh, xenophobic tone. So uh, that's it's a bit of a delicate campaign to wage in a with a working class and internationalist focus and and not descend into um, a sort of uh, ugly. Uh, cheap anti-Chinese sentiment so I'd be keen to check that out but I can't make that Um, Saturday August 29 tomorrow there's the uh, rally that Sue just mentioned stop Turkey's war on the Kurds Uh, the Turkish regime has scuttled the settlement process with its larger press Kurdish minority instead it is restarting the ruinous civil war stop the attacks on the Kurds restart the peace process now that's at 11am at Federation Square in the city and it's organised by Australians for Kurdistan. Uh, Google them or check them out on Facebook. Uh, then there's also the Bursay 4.0 rally. We spoke to Praveen earlier. Uh, time has come to support our friends and families back home and take a stand in support of democracy, rule of law and common decency in Malaysia. Uh, so that uh, rally is at 2pm at Federation Square in the city. So you can go along to the uh, Stop Turkey's War and the Kurds rally get some lunch and then reconvene for the uh, the birthday 4.0 rally, a uh, big day of internationalism in uh, Fed Square. Um, there's also, if you're looking to get a bit more rural tomorrow, there's the Bendigo anti-racism protest, um, Stop the Bigots in Bendigo. Uh, it's at 1.30pm at Bendigo Town Hall. If you're up for a bit of a day trip to... Um, Tell some fascists to crawl back under the rock from whence they came. Um, Tuesday next week, September 1, there is the public meeting defined Border Force Act, uh, speaking out against detention cruelty. Speakers include Christine Cummins, recently returned psychiatric nurse from Christmas Island, Christine Craik, from the, the, she's the National Vice President of the Australian Association of Social Workers, and Nathan Kennedy, who's the President of Australian Lawyers for Human Rights. That's at 6.30pm on Tuesday night at the Multicultural Hub 506 Elizabeth, Elizabeth Street City opposite Vic Markets. That's organised by the Refugee Action Collective. And finally, this time next week, Friday, September 4, uh, no, starting today and going until Friday next week, is a photo exhibition uh, Chile, 42 years of struggle, resistance and solidarity. It's been 42 years since the overthrow of the popular and democratically elected government of President Salvador Allende in Chile. And after nearly 42 years, the Chilean people have continued the struggle and are still fighting for real democracy and better conditions of living, which have not improved even under successive so-called democratic governments. So that photo exhibition is in the foyer at Vic Trades Hall, uh, 54 Victoria Street, Carlton South. So that's organised by Lasnet. So, yeah, stop in and check out the photo exhibition. Heaps of things to do over this weekend. Too many things to do over this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and you got uni work to do, Dennis. Yes, well, uh, yeah, oh, the whole, throughout the whole time, <laughs> including after this, straight after the show. The struggle continues. <laughs> All yes. right, guys, time to wrap up the show. And we should thank Praveen for um, coming on to be interviewed about Malaysia. And Sue, thanks for coming to the studio, for giving us a rundown on the, the public transport rally and also Kurdistan. 
Mm. And, mm. and I see that Newcastle City Council has just followed Moreland City Council's lead and has uh, announced they will be divesting from fossil fuels. Yes. So fantastic fun. news. Yeah. So. In fact, this is a really fantastic movement, the campaign for divestment. Mm. Okay. Absolutely. Great, guys. Um, we shall say goodbye and we shall see, be on, on uh, air again next Week, Friday at 7.30, Dennis. We will be there, we will be there on time. <laughs> that's okay. You're young. We, 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 that's your excuse. At least I'm giving you that one. All right, here we go. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper. Green Left Weekly provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to Green Left Weekly and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. Thank you for listening. You are tuned to 3CR Community Radio 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au.